The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Remember that show back Remember that show. Turn on the TV, time was always flying. Why did they have to end? So many shows you forgot Welcome, TV lovers, to episode two of Remember That Show, the podcast where we rediscover obscure or forgotten TV from the 80s and 90s. If this is your first time, welcome. If you're back for more after our discussion of The Critic in episode one, thanks for tuning in. It was fun, right? I mean, how did you feel after the first episode, Will? Were you excited about this prospect of more podcasting? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like, I didn't know how it would be received, but I've heard nothing but good things, which is great, you know? So it's exciting. Yeah, I was scared by the end of it because all these people would like respond, oh, I love The Critic. I love that show. And I was like, well, you better listen to the episode first then tell me what you think. Right, <laughs> right, ultimately right. said, oh, it's all good. <laughs> but uh, now here's the thing, though, is we like to start off the show just giving you a little glimpse into our TV-obsessed lives, you know, going way back. Uh, so let's get things started with our first segment, theme song. Sha-la-la-la. So, Will, what we got to ask about here as we get ready to talk about our, our main topic is what was your first exposure to a soap opera? Like, what were the soaps that you were watching along with the women in your life? Because definitely in the 80s, a female audience for the most part for daytime soap operas. Oh, definitely. I think it was a little bit of a split where my first, like my introduction to soaps in general were the primetime ones. My aunts would watch like Falcon Crest and Dynasty and that kind of thing. My mom was never really into that, but like the aunts were definitely into that. So I would just kind of see them on like when they visited that sort of thing. But actual like daytime soaps. I have a long history there. My first one was Days of Our Lives. It was 1992. I remember because my grandmother and I were in Alabama for the summer. And soap operas are kind of like comics where there's like a summer event. <laughs> so like at that point in time, like somebody got kidnapped at an amusement park. And I saw like the commercial commercial for it during like a game show or something. I was like, well, that looks interesting. So then next thing I knew, I was watching Days for like the rest of the summer. And then that kind of tapered off. And then my mom retired in 93 and she got into The Young and the Restless. So then I ended up watching The Young and the Restless again. There was a summer event because Victor Newman was presumed dead. And then he was being nursed back to health by Hope who was this blind farm woman. And that was interesting to me. So then I watched Young and the Restless for like the next like four years. And then I found my way back to days, like with like around college. So then I would pop back into days every now and then and was still kind of checking in on it until it moved to Peacock. I only did those two. 
like no passions or bold and the beautiful or anything like that so it's just those two so well that's how about you you took it and ran with it you said hey i'm introduced to it but now these are my shows i always considered them you know my mom's purview you know this is this is mom's show and she was all about victor on young and the restless that was her guy she ended up dating a guy named victor for years and i'm, I'm convinced it is because she just loved that name he had a mustache it was like the same look she stuck with him for so long but it, it just cracked me up like she loved that show that was the one like the theme song was like a piano right like mm-hmm. dun, dun. it's called nadia's theme i actually got the sheet music for it i was so into that show <laughs> That's amazing. But then you mentioned Passions, and that is the one that, if people don't remember Passions, like in my high school days, that I had a friend named Jenny Craig, unrelated to the weight loss, <laughs> very different person, but she was awesome, so funny. And so I would go to her house after school, and we'd watch Passions. And man, if you don't remember, they had a full-fledged witch. There was a yep. witch on the show. She brought a toy doll to life named Timmy, and yep. Timmy, the actor, he played the young Grinch in the Jim Carrey uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas that was him under all the prosthetics that was the one because soap operas are always known for being outrageous but that show was not afraid to just jump the shark every week like it was just something crazier and crazier I would always the teaser for it during days and I would just I'd see Timmy and just think nah I'm good (laughs) that's a that's a bridge too far (laughs) See, because I never got into taking any soap seriously, that was fine for me. The one thing I do want to mention, though, is so I was working at Disneyland when Disney's California Adventure theme park opened up. And of course, Disney owned ABC. ABC had a lot of daytime soap operas. And so what they did is they had the Soap Opera Cafe was one of their big things when they opened it up. My friends and I actually ate there for lunch when we went to the park one time. Just there's no line at this place. Let's go to the Soap Opera Cafe. (laughs) And so like each room, they had like a hospital set for General Hospital. They had like a dock set for, you know, like all all these different types of themed rooms from different soap operas. And so it was really fun. My understanding was originally they intended for all the servers to come in character. And I remember our our one server was like a doctor of some sort was a little off and was like playing it up. So that was like my last exposure to soap operas in any major way. Man, I miss that like early era of the Disney purchase of ABC because you know you got that every show had the well I guess we're going to Disney these next two episodes <laughs> gotta have that synergy you know exactly all right well hey we've got our history of soap operas here but now we gotta get everybody on board they've seen the title of the episode but they may have never seen an episode of this series we're gonna tell you what it's all about in our elevator pitch Okay, so Swan's Crossing, no apostrophe, Swan's Crossing uh, was a syndicated daily teen soap opera that ran for a single season of 65 episodes in 1992. Now, the series focused on the lives of the young, wealthy teens in a seaside town called Swan's Crossing. And the storylines basically involved the tumultuous romance between star-crossed lovers from two of the most prominent but bitterly warring families in town, you know? A malfunctioning 4th of July fireworks display 
save, people almost drowning, preparations for a slumber party, or international espionage with nuclear weapons? This series got wild. It is crazy, crazy stuff. But one of the craziest things, Will, you got to tell us about this. Well, there was an accompanying toy line from Playmates Toys. Most people know Playmates Toys for developing Earthworm Jim. That's what they're most known for. Of course. Of course. That's that's what you think of. Nah. Nah, I'm just kidding. They were responsible for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles toys and the Star Trek toys, which pretty much kept the lights on. I mean, that was like 97% of their portfolio. So... That's why it was so strange that they were making Swan's Crossing toys. And I've actually read that the show was created to sell the toys and not the other way around. And while this wasn't uncommon back in the day, I mean, Masters of the Universe, G.I. Joe, it was uncommon for a live action series. And seeing as how the show only lasted one season and the toys didn't sell, well, I'd say it was a failure all around. (laughs) Now, I gotta say, I do remember, because I did watch this show back in the day, briefly, I remember it being on, and I remember seeing the toy commercials as well, and thinking that is just bizarre. And as I've kind of researched and got back to look like, what was involved in this series? I mean, there were so many figures, especially of the girls, usually in a boy's toy line, right? They always say, oh, you there might be one girl, you know, real Ghostbusters, you might get a Janine, you know, there'd be an April in the Ninja Turtles, but that was about it. It took a long time to get Irma, you know? things like that but they had like all these girls and then one boy you know they had garrett who's like the main boy we'll get into him in a minute i think they had like two versions of him but everything else was the girls including this is the strange one i mentioned a slumber party there was a whole like variant of all the girls in their pajamas but they're in like lingerie and you're like what is this why did they think this is appropriate to sell to these seven-year-olds that are gonna watch the show you know (laughs) Well, it's such a weird hybrid, too, because they aren't really dolls. Like, this is an era where the toy lines are pretty much, like, split. Like, boys get action figures, girls get dolls. Yes, they're basically the same thing, but it's about semantics and it makes boys feel better. So, like, (laughs) these are action figures for a girl property. Today, it wouldn't really be an issue, but somewhere like Toys R Us would have struggled as to, like, where do we place these figures? Or dolls, or falls, or diggers, or whatever you're gonna call them. Like, it's a hybrid. Yeah, it, it is strange, you know, because like maybe you had Shira back in the day in this scale, you know, in the style with real rooted hair, you know, right, like right. That. but like, but they they did play sets, they had uh, vehicles. I mean, they really did a full line of these toys, which is crazy to think about. But we got to find out who were the characters then that were inspiring the toys, because like I said, there were so many of them and so many variants, especially. Now, the main star of this is played by a young Sarah Michelle Geller, a character named Sydney, and she is the mayor's daughter. She's basically Veronica from Archie in like every way. She's obsessed yeah. with fashion. She's a schemer. Everybody else in town is obsessed with her life choices, her romances, her fashion, whatever. She's like the trendsetter along with her, you know, her mom's in charge of the town. She's in charge of the younger side of things. <laughs> but there's also her love interest, ought to get off again, this guy, Garrett, played by Shane McDermott. If you don't know Shane McDermott by name. He was the star of the 90s rollerblading movie Airborne. Anybody? He played Mitchell Goosen. <laughs> 
that movie is crazy. Uh, it is Jack Black is in it in a very early role. Seth Green is his cousin who's like his best friend. I mean, it's 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 a wacky movie, but he is very devious. Like he is he's the one who's always stirring things up. He's always looking to pick a fight with somebody. He's smarmy. He's the guy, right? <laughs> right, right, right. And Shane McDermott, who played Garrett, wrote a blog post about his experience. And as someone who spent years with a website named after himself, I can admit that this is both sad and embarrassing. <laughs> it's time to move on, Shane. But it appears he was also on the Babysitter's Club, so I guess we'll see him in another episode down the line. That's right. I, I had no idea. I don't I don't remember his episode. He must have been a little bit younger back then. That's two years before, so I'll, I'll be interested to see how that works out. Now, Garrett has a sister. She's this very short little redhead. Her name is Glory. But it's interesting. She's always a Around. She's in so many scenes, but mostly she's the in-between with Sydney and Garrett's volatile relationship. The parents don't want them together, especially Sydney's mom and Gloria's. She has like vague romances or interest in other characters, but but like ultimately she's kind of just okay, Glory's also here. But there's also this guy named JT, and he is a weird hybrid, especially for this time, because he is both a science nerd and a jock. So he's building rockets. He's on this internet. Uh, but he's always at odds with Garrett. He's like calling him out on his bad attitude. They get into fights, which is like never fist fights, really. They're just kind of like rolling on the ground, like, you know, say by the bell style fights. Right, right. But mostly he pals around with this guy named Neil, who is the only person of color on the show. He's like a computer genius hacker. And they are always working together, he and JT, on this secret project. They're going to pose as a nuclear scientist okay and they are online all the time hacking into private files of all these different institutes and they have they've cracked some code and so there are these like evil forces that are like hacking into their files like keeping an eye on them like we want these nuclear codes like who are these strange bald guys that start out with turbans like i don't know what this is supposed to be <laughs> Well, on this topic, series co-creator, what's her name, Marty Kravitz, declared that Swan's Crossing is an essentially multicultural cast. We never mentioned that Neil's black or that Saha DeCastro has chosen to explore his Asian roots. It's the kind of show that kind of pushes the envelope. Our position on this is that this is a multicultural world, a new world, and people should get along as naturally as anything else. In crowd scenes, it looks very multicultural cultural we aren't self-conscious about it <laughs> well will how did you feel i saw neil and neil <laughs> right 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 but i mean honestly in that era lisa turtle prepared us for that you know yeah. it's like they got one <laughs> i want to mention one thing about neil because there is a very like I, I would call it an earworm they have a very catchy theme song to this however goofy and overblown it is and in the opening scene there's a girl singing there's a guy on keyboards and then neil is playing the drums he's like tony from california dreams yes and, and you're like but then he doesn't play drums on the series ever. He's not part of their band. He's not like, it is so strange. You're like, black guy has to play drums. I'm like, well, I don't understand. Like, it's so bizarre. The worst part, though, and like we get into it later where it's like he was hoping he'd eventually get like a love interest. But in that era, if you don't see a black girl, he ain't getting a love interest. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, like, and in fact, they kind of made him like just not like girls at all. He's just like, oh, I don't. I want my computer. You know, I want to do my projects. Uh, now, speaking of girls, though, there is this new girl, as they say, who comes into town with a lot of brouhaha surrounding her arrival. The character's name is Mila. She's played by Brittany Daniel, and she is the daughter of a countess, but she was also a TV star. So, like, they they make these jokes like, oh, nobody remembers her show, you know? But, like, apparently she was very popular, she's very rich, but she's sheltered, she's sweet, she's naive, but she's also the most traditionally beautiful. So everybody likes her, especially the boys, which makes the other girls jealous. Like, she's, like, the most well-developed of all these teenagers, so she stands out. Right, right. And honestly, like all these years later, what are we talking about? This is 31. Oh, I'm so old. This is 31 years ago. The only character I have remembered this entire time is Mila because oh. her name is Mila Rosnowski, which is probably the ugliest name I've ever heard. Like next to Leighton Meester. Like, seriously, like <laughs> you start out with this beautiful Mila and then Rosnowski. <laughs> like, just it's ghastly. But anyway, Brittany was gaining teen drama experience that she would take with her when she, along with her twin sister, would become the leads on the Sweet Valley High TV show. So that's where we've seen Brittany Daniel before. Yeah, the minute you see her, you're like, oh, Sweet Valley High, that's awesome. Which, you know, Jason David Frank, I remember when Tommy the Green Ranger is on Sweet Valley High? What is this? Yep. <laughs> Next is probably my favorite character, which is Callie. Callie lives in a submarine okay <laughs> she is there with her reclusive father captain walker and they pull into town in the water and uh, she's like the tomboy of the series she works at an auto repair shop she drives a motorcycle all over town she's really tough and really cool it doesn't take guff from anybody she talks back like she's she's kind of the tory from saved by the bell with a little bit softer edge maybe <laughs> well it's like she's the character who in any other circumstance would live on the quote-unquote other side of the tracks but since the train doesn't go through swan's crossing <laughs> they put them in a submarine instead <laughs> yeah it's amazing even from like the opening credits on uh, the pilot episode the first time you see the swan's crossing logo it's because their periscope is shaped like a swan and it's in the bay or whatever there and then it, it pulls out it says swan's crossing you're like this is outrageous okay <laughs> They're really going for it. Now, somebody we see a lot of in the series, and I feel like doesn't really develop much for her, though, is Sandy. She is this aspiring singer. She belts out the opening theme song. That's her thing. You always see her singing. You know, she's got a practice space that she's in with this guy named Owen, who is always like plunking away at a keyboard. He's got the circle sunglasses. He's got a vest. He's always, he's just the, the real jazzy guy who thinks he's so cool. You know, eventually gets a crush on Mila. It seems like Sandy likes him though like there's a little love triangle there he tries to get Sandy to teach Mila how to sing so she can sing his songs and he can flirt with her more he actually when Mila shows up into town there's a big 4th of July celebration where the fireworks explode she ends up in the water and can't swim and he's the one who ends up saving her anyway there's a lot of craziness like that <laughs> 
I mean, there are several other main cast members because like most soap operas, but they don't get as much screen time as these eight we talked about. And people always mention how Swan's Crossing starred a young Sarah Michelle Gellar. But I mean, if we're being honest, that wasn't that uncommon during that era. I mean, she was popping up in Happy Meal commercials, Barbie commercials, and then there's her later pre-Buffy soap work. So no, to me, the more important debut here was Mira Sorvino, who maybe didn't star in a cult hit show on the number five network of 1996 <laughs> but she did win an academy award so pretty good pretty good i gotta say my i didn't see mighty aphrodite but i love her from Romeo and michelle's high school reunion that's my favorite mira sorvino performance but on swan's crossing what's interesting is she plays the older sister of this boy named saja which is an interesting name but uh crab it, you know, one of the, the co-creators that you were quoting earlier mentioned, you know, this whole multicultural fabric of the show. But the problem is he is portrayed as this Zen Asian warrior kind of persona that he's putting on for himself. He's always speaking like he's quoting the art of war. And right. it just feels like they were appropriating martial arts culture for movies. They did the stereotypical Asian string music in the background. I mean, it's just, it's not great uh, when you look back on it now. I mean, because he would do his martial arts and maybe he's he's vaguely ethnic because his last name is DeCastro, the character, but they say he's exploring his Asian roots but they don't get too deep into that. Mira Sorvino is definitely not Asian, but she's his sister. Like, it's odd. Right, right, right. So, uh, I mean, thinking about all this craziness, you have to wonder, how did a show like Swan's Crossing make it on the air? It's time to explore the television landscape of this period in a segment we call Greenlight. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is the thing. I mean, I'm sure you remember this. By 1992, no show on American television was bigger than Beverly Hills 90210. It was a media juggernaut because it crossed over into dolls, which I bought, trading cards, which I bought, and made the cover not only of teen heartthrob magazines like Tiger Beat and Bop, which I bought, but mainstream publications like People, Rolling Stone, even Mad Magazine was doing their parodies. That's when you know you've made it, right? So teen drama was the hot thing in the early 90s. It was very marketable. It was basically the prototype, right, of what the WB, the CW network would become known for by the end of the 90s with, you know, Dawson's Creek and all that. So I got to ask, brief digression, what was your relationship with Beverly Hills 90210? I actually have, surprise, surprise, a complicated relationship with that <laughs> franchise. I was buying those same, like, teen magazines and whatnot, but I was buying them for Paula Abdul pinups and 90210 cast members just happened to be in them, you know? <laughs> so that was a, an interesting time because it's probably the only point in my life where I think I was peer pressured into like gender roles. That is an era where you had 90210 and you had new kids on the block. And those are things that if you look at present day Will, you would assume like, oh, of course you were all about that. But that was this weird little pocket of time where I had just been conditioned that like, that's for girls. 
we don't like this. Like, we don't watch that. Like, to this day, I will call myself the biggest straight male boy band fan in North America. Like, I will run for that title, but I do not like the new kids on the block because I'm just, it just conditioned from that era. And same with 90210, but it kind of helped me break out of it in that, like, I honestly did watch it, like, the first six years, but... It was kind of like in secret. Like I had nobody to talk to about it. But I mean, I was there when Scott was twirling the gun. I'm still mad that Fox tried to make it seem like an actual cast member was going to die. <laughs> you know? Like I I followed it up through like Donna Martin graduates and they get to college and all that stuff. And then eventually, like you were saying, it set the stage for this. And there were so many other shows like it. So at some point, I will call it graduated to Melrose Place and pretty much rode that out and I never came back like I would read about it like as cast members just kept leaving 90210 and they were scrounging to see who they could get back for the series finale but that helped me get to a place where I was like an unabashedly like fan of Dawson's Creek and everything the WB did and that sort of thing. But I just remember it. It's so vivid because it's this era that doesn't feel natural for me. Like I was trying to be someone I wasn't when I probably would have enjoyed all this stuff. And I've tried to go back, but it's like some of it, you had to be there. I mean, a hundred percent. And I, I totally felt that uh, like I, I knew about, you know, the gender roles and the pressure, but I took a different tact with them. Because with New Kids on the Block, I loved it. I bought the albums, but that was so that I could go to girls' houses and lip sync and be like in there. And then I remember there was this girl at school I thought was really cute. And I found out she liked Nano 210. So I started, like I had watched it here and there because everybody's talking about it. And then I really got into it. So I would have something to talk to her about at school. And like, you know, we would hang out and go like after school to a playground and talk Nano 210. But then I realized I was in the friend zone. And I was yes. like, oh no. I blew it, you know, like I, yes. I, I, so that, no, it didn't work out for me, but I would, like I said, I, this is my era where I had like John Stamos, I had Candace Cameron, I had all that or two and oh, all over my walls. I just pulled out all the pictures and taped them all over. Like every, every idol of TV was a big deal to me. But then like I bought the uh, Brenda doll from 90210. And I remember my mom's like, are you sure you want this? Right, right. And I was like, yeah, yeah. But when we get to the register, don't say anything. And then like when we get there, she's like, no, just last time you want this, right? No, I don't. Want it's for my friend, mom. We're buying it for my my friend for her birthday she's like yeah right uh-huh and right. so like, it came with brenda and she had a bikini and that's what i wanted i mean i was a little pervy you know 10 year old so anyway like that was that was my thing with that or two and oh and i like i followed it up until tiffany amber theason joins the cast i'm like i can't believe it tiffany amber theason is on the show now she's even hotter than she was on say by the bell and yes. i <laughs> I wrote in like to her fan club, got her headshot, and then I put it on the front of my binder. And I remember this girl coming up to me. She's like, so are you like a stalker or and I was like, oh, I can't do this anymore. And I flipped it out for Kiss. I was like, I'll just put Kiss here. This is safer. <laughs> No, I, I agree. Our friend Chad will hate me for this, but I was never a Kelly Kapowski fan. I never understood it. Didn't do it for me. She was just too skinny. <laughs> but when she hit 90210, I was like, oh, well, hello there. 
<laughs> she had a little uh, augmentation that helped her out a little bit during. No, that. it was the haircut. It was the haircut. <laughs> But, you know, everybody's listening to go, why are we talking so much about Beverly Hills and Two and Oh? It's because clearly this is the reason a show like Swan's Crossing was put into production. Like, you could make this, but for the younger set that their parents maybe won't let them watch 90210 because of some of the more, you know, ad- I don't want to say adult themes, but, you know, mature themes for that era because they tackled some issues on that show. But you also have to look back at some of the primetime soaps you were talking about, Will. In the 80s, like Dallas and Dynasty, like these shows ruled it. And we, especially Dynasty. Dynasty really feels like an influence on Swan's Crossing the template that they were looking at is just it's wealthy americans indulging themselves in luxury while double crossing each other that's 100 but then it, you mix in a dose of pbs shows like ghost Rider. like it has that feel like the acting style of these like yeah. real kids who are real teenagers and it's kind of like okay you know they're semi-natural sometimes but not really they're trying to play like adults and i would even throw in the production values to me look a lot like I, I always forget, I, I can't get it right, but it's the totally tattooed teenage. Oh, what is it? Tattooed teenage alien fighters from Beverly Hills. Yes. <laughs> The production values on that one is like totally matches Swan's Crossing. So, oh, don't do that to Swan's Crossing. <laughs> those people, those people were wearing pantyhose as masks. <laughs> like, you can't do that. <laughs> Well, I did a deep dive into some of the the coverage of Swan's Crossing in the media when it premiered, and there's some fantastic quotes to be explored about the creation of the show and what it was aiming for. I mean, first off, apparently their target audience was kids 7 to 15, but I would have run straight into traffic had I been a 7-year-old subjected to this. Like, it just, it offers nothing to a child that young. Not at all, no. And then, according to Sarah Michelle Gellar, 15, who plays vain, pouty Sidney Rutledge, picture a young, blonder Erica Kane, we do things like... Your best friend is mean, or you have a guy your parents don't like? The stuff we can all relate to. So, as you can see, there's so much depth to this show. <laughs> By the way, the fact that she is 15 when the show, there is no way. she. I really thought everybody on the show was 12 or 13 at the oldest. Everybody looks like babies. And right. I cannot believe that she was 15 when this series was happening. Because this is, what, four years before Buffy? She was 19 when Buffy started? Yeah. I don't know. Like, 90210 tricked us because, you know, they were all, like, 30. Exactly. <laughs> that, like, in 80s movies, everything up to this point, every teenager was at least 25. And so... Right. And also, you didn't feel weird about being attracted to them, right? You know? <laughs> I mean, we were young at the time, so they were older than us. But <laughs> but still, like, you know, you're like, wow, I can't believe when actual kids are playing their age. Then it gets crazy. Right, right, right. And then according to Marty Kravitz again, the driving approach to the show was the philosophy of enough already with the messages for kids no one ever said dynasty or falcon crest had to be educational kids understand fantasy too wow so there it is dynasty and falcon crest yep yep that's what they were going for and she thinks the series isn't only for girls she said and i quote there's a lot of good boy stuff in it too that's boy stuff with a hyphen (laughs) 
<laughs> Which, what a terrible quote. And is also disturbing if taken out of context. Oh, a more innocent time, 1992. Yes, yes. According to Kravitz, some of that boy stuff included small motor scooters for the guys to fly around town on and chauffeurs for the girls. She said, in order to give them fluidity so they could get there, they have cellular phones, they have beepers, they have lots of toys. We freed them to give them more story and to give them the kind of independence I always dreamed of. And I was thinking that's actually a smart move because they recognize like these kids aren't old enough to drive, but they still need to get places. Like even say by the bill didn't do that because I mean the max is located across the street from Bayside High. So you never really had to wonder how they got back and forth. So I kind of appreciated that like level of thinking that. Yeah, that is what you have to buy into, but it's not what we were used to seeing on TV. This world where basically kids could do whatever they want. Because also they ask, like, what if parents accuse Swan's Crossing of being overly materialistic? Kravit again says, if that's the worst thing they come up with, I'll be very happy. It's wonderful to see people who have a lot of stuff and who still aren't happy. In other words, it's an ideal kid's world. Parents are around, albeit at an upper level, mainly to provide the houses and transportation and pay the bills. And this paints an interesting question. Are the characters kids or are they young adults? And I mean that in the sense that it's a show aimed at kids, starring kids, selling a fantasy of what adulthood is. The things listed in that quote are things that would be awesome to a child, yet occasionally burdensome to an adult, like home ownership, car insurance, etc. Yeah, I mean, and that that's the other element of it, is like, these kids never go to school. Like, th there's no mention of school at all, like, which is 100% what every other show with teenagers, you know, or even younger kids focuses on. There is there is a baseball coach, but I think that's like a non-school-based sports team, you know, like, and all the kids, like, are always at a pool, they're at the local malt shop or whatever, you know, it's their version of the peach pit. Or in Callie's case, she works a job as a mechanic, seemingly full-time, because she she lives on a submarine and then goes to work. I don't understand this show. <laughs> hey, everybody. Time to take a break from this episode to tell you about our sponsor, HalloweenCostumes.com, and the great selection of retro TV costumes available. And we're going to also tell you how you can get 15% off your entire order by using the link in our show notes. So I was on the website today. I was browsing around. I found their plus-size ALF costume, if you want to be Gordon Shubway after a feline buffet. Um, I personally ordered the Inspector Gadget costume a few years ago when my son and daughter went as Rainbow Bright and her sprite. So, I mean, we just had a full 80s Halloween. That was great. This year, the Ghostbusters costumes are calling my name, since my youngest loves playing with my real Ghostbusters toys. Uh, maybe I'll pull the trigger on an inflatable Stay Puffed? Now, for the ladies, they've got Velma or Daphne from Scooby-Doo, or Lily Munster with matching Herman, if you want to go the couple's costume route. William, you know, loves his Power Rangers, so for you 90s kids, they've got a fantastic Green Ranger, plus the full spectrum of Rangers, even an inflatable Megazord. They've also got all the accessories you need, you know, just to make your costume as authentic as you want it to be. Of course, there's so much more to choose from, including superheroes, movie icons, video game heroes, and more. So follow the link in our show notes today to get 15% off your entire order at HalloweenCostumes.com between now and October 31st. You'll be glad you did. And now, back to the show.
But let, let's start getting into the details here because we've seen now what they intended to portray, you know, what the, some of the creators were saying, but did they do it well? So we're going to explore the best of what Swan's Crossing had to offer as we raise our glasses to the show and say cheers. <laughs> The main reason the show even exists in the pop culture consciousness is Sarah Michelle Geller. We mentioned Mira Sorvino, but I'm sure she was not promoting it as a, a great project she debuted on. But Sarah Michelle Geller is Sydney. She is delightfully evil. She's self-centered. Like her performance, she turns it up to 11. It's very over the top, but always entertaining. Like she... 100% gets the tone of the show and just plays it to the hilt. She never fails you. You're just like, you're so strange, Sydney, but so intriguing. <laughs> right, right. Totally agree. I mean, she's looking back at it all these years later. She's the only redeeming factor of this show. <laughs> like, she's one of the great soap villains, not Victor Newman level. No one comes close to that, but she's, she's on her way there. On my side, like, as much as I've loved and studied TV, I still don't know, like, a lot of technical terms for things so bear with me here soap operas are filmed a certain way like when you're clicking through channels there's no mistaking when you've landed on a soap opera i don't know if it's videotape versus film or lighting or what but there's a soap opera look and what set swans crossing apart from other teen shows was this look when you landed on that uhf channel you knew you weren't watching saved by the bell <laughs> I mean, that's 100% true. Like, something about it just looked more natural because it wasn't like super high production values, kind of like I indicated earlier. But you look at it and you're kind of like, okay, though, like it is a little cleaner. It is, everything's a little shinier. You know, it doesn't, like, Natter 2.0, for example, had like more of a film quality to it. You know, like, and this definitely, it just stands out. But do you like it? Do you like, you think that that sets it apart in a good way? I think think it made it unique mm. and it cemented its status as unique <laughs> like, <laughs> like there's so little to go on and i know we'll get into this but it's like 65 episodes are not as many as we would think they are based on how the show was like the pacing of it and everything mm -hmm. so i like that it's different i like that i had never seen anything like it before but i still don't know like maybe that brought people into the show but i could also see it pushing people away way so that's yeah. why i'm like on the fence there again yeah not familiar to what kids would expect but i do want to say that they did a great job spending the money on extras because in most scenes like they're, they're either filming on location you know outdoors and they just have people walking around the town like, like even in the opening pilot there's this really embarrassing girl singing into an ice cream cone in the back of a, a convertible car and then there's these kids in a gazebo just dancing their hearts out to this goofy song but they're there they got it done and there's also they, they do a lot of fantasy sequences kind of like say by the bell but without the pink borders you know it's like oh i'm underwater i gotta save mila oh and she looks like a mermaid to me you know like all this weird stuff so like that is kind of fun that they went the extra mile to always have action in the background because so many cheaper productions you know they falter on that and then you're just like there's only these five kids in the entire town like that's what it always feels like the one thing you said, though, was it was you know, playing five days a week. 
So they, they had weekly arcs. And, and so that was kind of an interesting idea because the the continuity is pretty tight in, in those arcs. But I, I do want to like just point out one of the storylines because it was kind of like each week was leading up to something. It's leading up to a baseball game. It's leading up to a dance. It's whatever. And there was one where it was leading up to a slumber party. And then the boys crashed the slumber party. And it was the most interesting to me because they seemed like they were actually having fun for once. Like not like here's this faction over here scheming against this faction it was like everybody all together in one place the girls are trying on wigs and then like at one point they actually break into a choreographed dance routine and Sarah Michelle Geller's like come on guys let's do the swans crossing and then they start doing this dance and it is so funny they wanted to create a fad but I have not seen that desperation since do the Urkel on Family Matters <laughs> But as you kind of just scanned through, was there like a plot point that you're like, okay, well, that's kind of at least clever or unique, as you said. Well, the only thing that never felt like old hat, even though it tonally doesn't fit at all, is whenever they would deal with the baldies and the like nuclear weapons situation. Like everything else was just like boilerplate soap opera, just with kids, which in some ways is really weird when you think about it. But that's the thing where it's like, I'd watch a spinoff about those guys, you know? Like yeah, I don't those, really those care two about kids with Neil yeah. and JT. Like they they kind of have the most, well, at least for guys, right? For us. For our interest, in, uh, you know, as a 10-year-old or whatever at that time, we, we would have followed a show about them. That's 100% true. Oh, yeah. Like, if it's one of those things, like, if you squint and you apply modern-day sensibilities to it, you could say that was a prototypical psych. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. yeah. Now, uh, one thing I wanted to mention, though, this is weird. This is not praising the show, but praising the producers, I guess, or whoever the lawyers were, because Swans Crossing somehow managed to get the rights in perpetuity to including pop music hits. You would actually recognize they included them in the show. And so, like, people would just, like, have headphones on or they turn on a music video and they're watching, like, Everybody Wants to Rule the World by Tears for Fears, Jump by Crisscross. Like, which is like the biggest thing of that moment. These kids are jumping and they're doing the rap. These little white girls are rapping along with crisscross. It was amazing to watch. <laughs> but notice their parents weren't around. So. No, not at all. <laughs> but like, but it was crazy because like so many shows, like for example, uh, The State from MTV, I was waiting for years for that to come on DVD. I had to find bootleg DVDs for sale on the dark web at some point because they included all these MTV hits because they had the rights to do it at the time when they made the dvds they literally had to do replacement tracks that were sound alikes and then they had to re-record dialogue over those like so it took a long time for that to come out but here on tubi all those songs are just intact as they always were like you watch through and you're like i can't believe that is in here it's not even like a lower tier hit this was like a big hit song you know definitely like i think one of the biggest examples of that kind of situation was wkrp in cincinnati i mean you've got a show a about a radio station but on dvd you can't include any of the music so it took them like 10 years to finally clear the rights and like that's what i was like waiting for and i hope down the road we get to cover the new wkrp in cincinnati which holds a special place in my heart okay but... yeah that will put that on the list i gotta <laughs> say we haven't dropped this bombshell yet we talked about callie's dad who is the captain of the submarine who plays callie's dad Oh my gosh, I should I I should know this. I was watching it today. Who plays Callie's dad? It is, is Uncle it? Frank from Home Alone. Huh. 
Yeah, go back and watch it. So he's he's got his little, you know, smoking jacket with his ascot on. Right. The submarine. But it's Uncle Frank playing a totally non-abrasive, gentle, you know, nice guy. But I just saw that immediately. I'm like, what are you doing here? Like, it was, it was wild. <laughs> got bills to pay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, despite their wealth, the kids of Swan's Crossing couldn't pay us off to give them 100% positive reviews. So it's time to explore where the show missed the mark as we share some jeers. Boo! Boo! <laughs> well, first off, the acting was very, very poor. Like, we're talking after-school special bad. Outside of Sarah Michelle Gellar, who's appropriately overacting in a soap opera capacity, everyone else here feels like the casting directors went into, like, any random U.S. high school and just hired a bunch of attractive freshmen with no acting experience. Yeah, unfortunately, I, I have to agree. Some people might have found that charming, but I think also part of it, too, is... It's written like they're adults, but they're kids playing the parts. And so it just, they're trying to play up to the script. So really it, it is the fault of the showrunners for creating the show in this way. But yeah, these kids were, weren't 100% equipped. <laughs> right, right. It's definitely like a school play. Like, Romeo, Romeo, where for art? Thou Romeo. <laughs> well, and like whenever they do saying. their little like in between banter while they're like walking and talking, like it just it's definitely what you know a 14, 15 year old is gonna think up. You know, I, I remember being in a show once and somebody missed their cue. And so I'm on stage, it's just me and one other character, and like the person's supposed to come through the door, and so I just stop for a second, then I'm like, ah, you, you know Miss Preen. <laughs> and I start talking in kind of a whispery tone, like it's so obvious I'm vamping, and sometimes right, right. that's what these kids are doing you know so it's just pretty funny now one thing i want to point out is I, I mentioned the continuity because it was a daily soap opera every episode feeds into the next but if you're not interested in where the story is going that week if you don't care about who's going to be the starting pitcher at a baseball game or like who's going to meet who at the community prom dance because like i said i don't think it's a school dance it's just there's a dance happening you know like it gets kind of tedious because you're just like okay this, this person's kind of mad at this person this one's a little jealous of this person uh garrett's being a jerk again like you're just like there's not much going here then they have to milk it for so long right right like with the continuity and the pacing one thing that i don't think comes up enough in discussions about this show like a lot of articles and blogs and podcasts that like touch on it they always mention that it had a 65 episode run but what people don't realize is it only ran for the summer this wasn't a show those 65 episodes to put it like in comparison mighty morphin power rangers season one is 59 episodes but that was over the course of september to may but swan's crossing ran from june 29th to approximately like september 20th like it only ran for the summer i know i got my first like personal vcr in 93 so i couldn't record this thing and it's the kind of show that it's tedious at points but it's also 
dense. Like if you went three days without seeing it, and it's possible because you went on summer vacation, like you're getting ready, going to the doctor to get your like vaccinations to go back to school. Like it was that tail end of summer. You were lost. You know, I came back near the end and I didn't know what the hell was going on. <laughs> so the pacing and like the, the continuity were definitely to its detriment. Again, kids are used to cartoons or, you know, the kid type sitcoms where they literally it's one and done and everything resets by the next episode you know you know and occasionally there's a two-parter but that's rare you know and so and then according to one of the articles i found they claimed that grown-ups called gronies get it <laughs> will be seen but not much heard which it's kind of too bad gronies never took off you oh, know? Man. that sounds like what the goonies sequel they've been promising us for all these years would be called the gronies right oh my oh. god <laughs> but i'm gonna that call my good. agent when this is over <laughs> That being the case, though, I will say there is still way too much screen time spent with the gronies because any scene with an adult is a total drag. Like, they're not goofy. They're not lovable like the Walsh parents on 90210. So you're just waiting for, like, whether they're having an argument with their kid, whether they're giving them a lecture. You just want it to be over. I do have to mention, though, I don't know if you got to any of these episodes, but there is this leather jacket wearing 20-something grony <laughs> who is the creepiest character on the show. His name is Barrick. He just goes by Barrick. He ends up like being the manager of the mechanic shop where Callie works. And from the moment he enters every scene with her, pretty much all his scenes are with her, he just sounds like he's making passes at her. Even if he's just giving life advice, seemingly, it's all like, you know, you gotta think about this. You know, and you're like, oh, guy, what are you doing? And it's, it's even worse because like, she is definitely not into it like you see like she's just like who is this guy and we talk about Saved by the Bell a lot like Jeff college guy dating Kelly the high schooler like that was one thing but this guy like he looks like he's at least like 25 he's probably closer to 30 and he's looks like he's grooming a 16 year old and it's just everything is uncomfortable at one point they meet in a darkened alley together I'm like what is this nothing ever happened Happens. He never comes out and does something terrible. He's just so creepy and like, I don't know, like they just couldn't see it when they were filming this thing. Like, do you know how this is coming off? It's to the point. I've watched so much of this show preparing for this episode. I had an anxiety dream about my daughter being a teenager and wanting to date Barrick. And I was trying to talk her out of it. <laughs> Bad, bad, bad. I blame the Fonz. Every show has tried to put their own spin on the Fonz. Family Ties gave us Nick, and, like, Blossom gave us Vinny. Like, everybody wants this, like, bad boy in the motorcycle who's got a sensitive heart. He makes art out of garbage and stuff like that, you know? And this was just them going too far. <laughs> yeah, this guy totally has the Eric, you know, from the two-parter, the evil stepbrother on Say by the Bell, Jesse's stepbrother from new york Who we never see again <laughs> yeah never see him again but this guy has those vibes now the other thing i just want to bring up because again like as a 40 year old man i should not be watching this barrack should not have been anywhere near these kids because there are a lot of pool scenes in like the community pools and in the beginning of the series they don't show the kids in swimsuits. Even in the opening credits, they're all in shorts and t-shirts passing a beach ball around. It's very chaste. But by the end of the series, they're in little bikinis walking around. And you're just like, again, 
on 902 and out, these were 20 year olds playing high schoolers. You know, you watch the, the summer season where they're at the beach resort, you know, and you're just like, oh, I don't feel so bad. You know, even say by the bell, you know, but it's just, it's very cringeworthy. I'm probably on a list somewhere. I mean, I'm not comfortable with having seen those episodes. I'm just like, <laughs> we're going to get like a label on, on yeah. iTunes, wherever people get podcasts. <laughs> they're like, that's why nobody talks about Swan's Crossing. That's right. Why. right. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the end of the day, it also felt like Swan's Crossing didn't really know what it wanted to be, as there was just too much going on. Uh, this tends to happen on soap operas. There's multiple storylines to accommodate a large cast, but those storylines tend to be related in some way, at least tonally. Here, there was Sarah Michelle Gellar making her bitch face at everybody, and then the nerds are building a rocket and running from some government guys. Then there's this poor guy with the ascot living in a submarine. <laughs> And, like, as a child, the whole Enterprise was boring. And it's not even an exciting watch. The colors were too muted for 1992. Where's the neon? Why weren't they just all eating blue raspberry candy? Like, it's a horrible representation of the time to me. Yeah, like, the only time I ever saw anything that made me relate to the characters was uh, there is a scene where Garrett is on his porch and he's playing a Game Boy. But I think they were trying to avoid some type of, you know, copyright issue with Nintendo. So they put this purple tape all over. Over it like in weird spots it didn't even cover the whole thing it was just like weird angles on it and so it, it was it was one of those things where i was just like yeah nothing about this made me feel like oh these are kids like me because like right. they said it's a fantasy world where kids can do whatever they want and they have all the money in the world and they have all the ambition in the world so it's just we've talked about why it existed but i don't think they considered what was really going to appeal to kids there's like this is what we want to do if we were kids we would enjoy this and I was like, would you? <laughs> and so I want to mention this too, because a lot of the actors, there, there's another podcast that is dedicated to Swan's Crossing. It's called Gotta Grow Up Sometime in reference to the theme song. It's a very fun show. They just ended it this year in February, but they're very fun hosts and they were able to interview the, the actress who played Callie at one point. And I know Shane McDermott has mentioned this on his blog post as well. The kids were so surprised the show was canceled after one season because apparently it was popular. It was popular to the point where they were getting recognized. They did an event like a meet the cast event at a Planet Hollywood in New York and there were lines around the block where people were lined up to meet them. So it had some buzz. They were like, we didn't think anybody was watching it but apparently and then they didn't get brought back. So that is the case with a lot of shows we're going to cover here. So as you know, we are the experts, right? We're going to be called in to keep the show alive at least for another season as The Show Doctors. So, Will, looking at it now, what would you or could you have changed about Swan's Crossing to make it more appealing to kids or at the very least just more entertaining across the board? Oh, I've never been more excited to be unleashed on a show because <laughs> I have so many ideas. First off, you're talking about like how they were surprised about like the cancellation. Well, that's one of the inherent issues with syndication because it only had coverage in 91% of major markets, meaning there were some places that didn't know it existed, still don't know it existed. So they were big in like 
let's say New York. But in my research and like the blogs and Reddit posts of like people remembering it, there are these common stories of like, well, they kept moving the time slot. Next thing I knew, they were playing it at like 11 o'clock for some reason, you know, like some UHF stations had like, they were just burning it off. So first thing I would do, it would not be syndicated. I would give it to a network. Now that is a tough sell at that point in time, but I think think you could pass it off to NBC for TNBC to like be a companion show to California Dreams and Saved by the Bell. It's different you're, you're pulling a reverse Charles in charge is what you're doing. Where they yes. went from network to syndication. You're, you're going to go the opposite. Oh, that's yes, bold. Yes, I'm going the opposite because I think it can work because that's where your desired audience is being pulled anyway. Like that was it was like that or TGIF and it's not going to fit in TGIF. So like in 90 I'm bringing them to Saturday morning. That also changes the pacing. It would be more of a primetime soap model than a daytime soap model in that you're going to have like a 13 to max 26 episode season. And you've got like weeks going in between it. I know that sucks, but... You can't really do more like the fact that they were using actual children, child labor laws weren't going to really let them do more than 65 episodes in a season. And as we saw, they couldn't accomplish that much. So I would change the structure of the show there, take it to where the audience already lives. But here's the big thing. Notice I'm not saying anything about the cast. The cast is fine, even though they suck. Like, I don't expect much from that age in that era. But the big biggest problem you have to deal with is you have to fire Marty Kravitz. Marty Kravitz, the creator, executive producer, is the biggest problem with this whole production. Because I know Marty Kravitz, you know Marty Kravitz. Marty Kravitz is that woman who is going to be a nightmare when her teenage daughter like becomes a teenager with a social life you know friends come over she's like so girls tell me what the boys are doing at school you know like you were talking about the 13 year olds walking around in bikinis that's all marty kravitz that's her looking at them saying i would kill for your body right now you know like it's that middle-aged woman who's just too much and like she's totally vicariously living through these children because it comes through in the interviews as far as like oh this is what i would have felt when i was their age and that kind of deal i would have fired her and brought in like a peter engel or somebody used to working with children <laughs> you know like she was out of her depth and she was actually a danger to those children <laughs> well and this is what's crazy so i i was able to find out in listening to the the guy to grow up sometimes podcast and some of the research they did they found out that like she was super young she was like 22 years old when she was doing this show and she had won awards when she was 19 writing for a different series and she had children who were like seven and five years old at that time so she was a teen mom who missed out on her teenage years and so 100 percent, what you said this is like this is what it could have been for me this is what i you know the fantasy of what my teenage life would have been yeah She's sitting at home raising those babies, watching soap operas, yeah. and like we're we're doing the Kaiser Sose right now. Like this, <laughs> this is where this came from. Because in one interview, she even laments. She's like, "I wish I had daughters," because I think her kids were sons. Yeah, she you had know. Two boys. So yeah. it was just kind of like she's got some stuff going on, and I think it was to the detriment of the show. So get her away from it, move it to a network, 
work. Change the time slot. You got yourself a three-season winner right there. You are right on board with what I would do, and then I have a plan for that season, okay? This is how we're going to get eyes on the show, because in one episode, Sydney, the character of Sydney, actually declares, quote, there are no stars in Swan's Crossing. And that is the problem. That's the problem with this show. There are no stars, okay? Because the characters are bland. The cast was unknown. You needed something to promote as special. You want to juice the ratings. So I would have taken the Super Mario Brothers Super Show route and had C-list celebrity guest stars every episode okay it's rob stone from <laughs> mr belvedere exactly so this is what we're gonna do in fact i i want to take it even farther is season two of this series you know which would be the first network season because if they were still gonna at least keep the soap opera format i kind of have the idea that each week they would go to a different old defunct sitcom so for example they'd go on the love boat and all the kids get to go on this cruise so you have gavin mcleod you got ted lang and ted mcginley you gotta have both heads and then the kids would meet fred savage from the wonder years they'd meet fading pop star tiffany you know uh how about kids tv game show host jd roth and others (laughs) and please tell me the tiffany episode you have to slip in there she's like shh I think we're alone now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, then the next week, they go to Fantasy Island. So you get Mr. Rourke, you get Tattoo, but then you also get Vicki Lawrence from Mama's Family. Oh my God. You get Jason Bateman from the Hogan Family and Brian Bonzel from Family Ties. Yeah, that's Family Week also. The Family Trifecta. <laughs> so that's what I would do is you just get like these stars, like their shows just ended or, you know, whatever. They're still in syndication. People know about them. But like that, that's what I think it would be because... The kids themselves have proven they can't really carry the show. So you got to do something just to make it a gimmick and get people watching. And I think, you know, at this era, that's what you would have to do. So (laughs) how involved are the the guest stars? Is it a cameo or are they like an integral part? Like, I guess it's kind of like, is it guest star of the week or are we leaning more towards VIP? Where it's like the the cold open is like, oh, look, it's Gilbert Gottfried being protected by Valerie Irons protection and then you never see him again that's that's what i wanted to have a mix of like i said so you'd have the cast of that show so you have them playing their characters from the love boat oh god the guests that are on are playing themselves the celebrity and they could probably a lot of them the tv stars like mila could say oh yeah i know fred hey fred you know she introduces everybody that type of thing and like then you could have sydney she is like coaxing a celebrity like that she hired to come play like oh i know you sydney hey you know to, to raise her stakes against me or whatever it is you know so I, I just feel like you could have a lot to play with it would be super goofy but people would be able to remember that now and go back and say oh and then this guy was like remember this guy was on it you know even the fantasy island i was like mr belvedere was the replacement on fantasy island for mr Rook. i just learned that last week i didn't remember the end of, of- fantasy island like i thought that hervey villachez was there till the end and they're like nope it was christopher hewitt yeah mr belvedere is the guy on fantasy island no mustache it's very awkward to see him but yeah that's funny man (laughs) i love that Yeah, so if anybody else out there has other ideas what you think could have saved Swan's Crossing, you can find us on social media and let us know. But, Will, that is it. We went through that, and 
man, just watching as much as I watched. I'm like, why am I still watching? I'm, I'm waiting for something because like, it was weird. It was crazy, but it was never satisfying. That's ultimately what it came down to. So Right, right. But let's hope our next show is. So we're going into the Halloween season now. You know, October is our next episode. So last time, as we were talking about what we could cover, I had two suggestions. They were both animated. So we had, you know, from the comic strip, we had the mini monster. It was kind of like Camp Candy, but with monster kids. Or you were surprised that I brought up Little Dracula. You didn't remember that was a thing. And I think that might be one that most people don't remember. And it could be interesting. Maybe has a little bit more of a foothold in pop culture that could be revived. So what do you think? Where are we going? This is a tough one because Little Dracula is the one I remember, even though I had forgot, like you mentioned it and I'm like, oh yeah, but the other one, you said Camp Candy and that flipped a switch. Like it's kind of like the monster squad goes to camp and I know a lot of people we know out here like the monster squad. (laughs) I'm going with mini monster. (laughs) okay cool i'm excited so now yes everybody go take a look find mini monsters out there if you want to get prepared uh for this next episode talk to your friends sometimes they have other means of obtaining those episodes if they're not all on youtube but it's fairly available so you should be able to find it and uh, we will uh, catch up with you during the spooky season but hey until next time This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.